0: Reader's Digest posted an article in June 2020 called America's Least Favorite Stores According to 62,000 Customers. Apparently, this article highlights how 62,000 individuals were surveyed about which stores were their least favorite to go to. And number one on the list caught my attention, and it caught me by surprise, and it is Walmart. (laughs) Number two is Sears. Sears. Number three, I thought this was surprising, GameStop. You know, the video game store that all the youth and and teenagers want to go and buy video games. Number four, Dick's Sporting's Goods. Number five, Dollar General. Number six, Albertsons Companies. Number seven, the Home Depot. Number eight, Super Value. And the last one on this list is Southeastern Grocers, also called Winn-Dixie. As I think about this article, I begin to ask my, myself a question. What is my least favorite store to go to to shop? And on this list, my least favorite store is not on here. Maybe yours is, but let me ask you this. Don't say it out loud, but what is your, fav- what is your least favorite store to go shop? Mine, without a question, is Lowe's. I cannot stand going to Lowe's. Um <laughs> I know my man car just went really low on some of you guys' level, but hey, I'm still a man, trust me. I just don't like going to Lowe's. And as I think about Lowe's, I think about one of the few times I've been there, and, and it's a rare occasion when, when I'm walking into Lowe's. But I drove my Chevy Cobalt there several years ago, and I got out of my car, grabbed my keys, put it in my pocket, walked in there. I have no idea why I was there, but I was there for some important reason. And I get out of the store, and I, walk into my, I get into my car, and I put my keys in the ignition, and I turn the ignition, and push, put, I push the clutch in, and there the car did not start the battery was dead and interestingly enough it was during the day and i had no ride so i just walked home and eventually went to advanced auto store bought a battery and came and put a new battery in the car and it started up again and i share that story to say this that that car when that battery died the car still looked like a car It appeared to be like one in every way, shape, or form. But the only issue was, when I turned the key in the ignition, the car did not stop. So the car was dead. And as I think about that that story and that illustration... I think about this church here in Sardis. Look in the first verse. The Bible says literally the very message that Jesus has for this church, which by the way was a historical church that that existed back in the early church days, and now this church is no longer in existence, but it was a historical church that existed, and now this church represents churches of of all periods of church history about this thought here. It says the last part of verse two says that God, Jesus said, I know your works. He says, "I, I know you have a name. That you're alive, but it says here, you are dead. So what is the message God is trying to reveal to us here in this passage? Of course, it's not about uh, a Chevy Cobalt's battery being dead, but what it is about is this church is dead. So the message is simply this today. The title of my sermon is this. The church that is dead. The church that is dead. I think it's worth noting that Sardis is one of the cities along this postal route on the Roman road. So it's a circular road, kind of like a circle. And the first city on that road is Ephesus. And it goes on and you get to the fifth city, the fifth major city is Sardis. And so as we journey along this road, we see that each time a a city is visited, a church is there. And this letter is for that church in Sardis. It was on the junction of roads from Central Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. This city was the capital of Lydia underneath the last king, Croesus. And it was the seat of the governor after the Persian conquest. Sardis was famous for their arts and crafts and was the first center to mint gold and silver coinage. By the way, the river that flowed through this city was known as being stocked, not of trout, not of salmon, not of goldfish, but of gold, pure gold. And as they would get into that river, they would, they would find gold. And this city became a luxurious city full of great wealth. Their buildings were, 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 were far better than any of the cities around them. Nothing compared. And so this city became a byword of wealth and synonymous of the term wealthy. Unfortunately, Croesus also became a legend for pride and presumptuous arrogance. And when he began to attack on Persia, it ultimately led to the fall of that city and their kingdom. Cyrus and the Persians captured the citadel in a surprise attack back in 549 BC. So that's about 550 years before Jesus lived on this earth. As the Romans also attacked it three centuries later. Which, by the way, may provide insight of why verse number three, it speaks about a thief coming to bring judgment to this church. And I think it is also interesting to note that, that in AD 17, that is 17 years after Jesus Christ, we see that a great earthquake ruined Sardis physically and financially, and the Roman Empire began to try to help contribute to their rebuilding and reconstruction, but it all failed, and this city was never rebuilt. So we think about this city, the city is really in ruins today. This church is no longer in existence, and really this is the letter that we have that lets us in on what this church was like, and the Bible says that the message for this church is that it is a church that is dead. I can't think but help at how all of these churches apply to our day and time today. Of course, we know this is a specific six verses that was written to a church in Sardis, but these six verses apply just as much today as it did in those days because have you ever stopped to just think about the church as a whole right now? I would argue that the church as a whole today is a dead church. And let me elaborate, the Bible says name here in verse number one, and it is simply a meaning that their reputation was alive within the culture, but in fact, they were dead. And so here's the key statement that I want to summarize my, as my message today, and I want to summarize the meaning of these six verses. The church is dead when they're more concerned about their reputation with men than their standing with God. Let me say that again. The church is dead when they're more concerned about their reputation with men than their standing with God. My question for you today, for all of us today, if you're listening at home as well, are you more concerned about what men and women say about you, or are you more concerned about your standing with Almighty God? Today we see that this church in Sardis, they began, it, it, some commentators talk about how, how they began to try to, in a sense, merge the culture with Christ. They were more concerned about what all of the people said and they began lax on what the word taught. Today we need to understand this, that our first priority should be what God says of us, not what the world thinks of us. And so today I want to ask and answer this question. How can a dead church experience life again. And understand this, a dead church is just simply meaning that God's spirit's not there, that the word of God is not taught and proclaimed, and that the gospel is no longer at the forefront of the message. And today I want to share with you seven steps for a dead church to experience revival or life again. From this passage, Look at verse number one. In verse number one, of course, we see that this is uh, the angel, or most likely a pastor, a messenger is bringing this letter to the city of Sardis. And here, as in the other letters, the minor letters within this large book, that verse number one of each of these letters goes back and analyzes chapter one, the vision that John had about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And here it's highlighting that, that about the Spirit of God. It says, these things says, he that has the seven spirits of God. Don't let the plurality of the term spirits scare you. This coincides back with with Isaiah chapter 11 and Zechariah chapter 4 just to just to emphasize the completed full work of the Holy Spirit the sevenfold ministry of the spirit of God and as I read this verse, verse number one, here's the first way a dead church can experience life again. Number one, if you want revival, walk in the spirit of God. If you want revival, walk in the spirit of God. Why was this church dead? Well, because they were no longer seeking to live underneath the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I find it very interesting that, the, that, that Jesus is emphasizing the spirit of God here and that a church that does not have a, the Spirit of God is a church that is dead. The Spirit of God brings life. I am thankful that when I was 16 years old at church camp, that the Holy Spirit of God quickened me and, and took a dead man walking and made me alive through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us and gives us new life and makes us a new creature. The Bible says here that their works, everything about them, appeared, appeared to be alive. I think about churches today. Many of them function like a church. They have leaders. They have pastors. They might have deacons. They might have elders, however they're governed. They might have one pastor. They might have multiple staff members. They might have seven deacons. They might have 777 deacons. You know, it just depends on the setting of the church. And how it's functioning it might look like one it might have the structure and a steeple and all those things but understand this that the structure of the facilities does not determine if it is a church that is alive or church that is dead is the church seeking the power of the holy spirit of god listen just because we're baptists does not mean we have to be afraid of the spirit of god God's Spirit is just as much at work in the Apostles' day as it is today. We believe the Holy Spirit functions. We believe the Holy Spirit empowers us and equips us and helps us to go out and share the good news of Christ. And we need to get back to getting underneath the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I believe churches today are powerless and the pulpits are powerless because we're not seeking the Holy Spirit to reign supreme in our lives as a child of God. In fact, we're more concerned about the spirit of men than the spirit of God. And when we are more concerned about our reputation with the men and women of this age, instead of our standing with God, that means we are dead and we need to be awoken. Verse number two leads us to the second way a dead church can experience life again. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit of God does not reside in you, you are not a child of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit living in you because the Holy Spirit makes us new. So listen, the Bible says that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that, we, we trust that and we trust in the death, burial, and resurrection for Christ to, to forgive us of our sins. We believe that, we confess our sins. And he's faithful just to forgive us. But understand this, that in the moment when I cried out to God for salvation, I didn't fully understand it, but that's the moment when Jesus, well, the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells us and changes us and conforms us to his image. And so we see here in verse number two, that the Bible says, be watchful. And then again, in verse number three, the last part of verse number three, it says, if therefore, excuse me, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And it says, You will not know what hour I will come upon you. So, the second way a dead church can experience life again is this if you want revival, wake up or face the judgment of God. If you want revival, wake up or face the judgment of God. Do you like the vacation? Maybe some of you like to go on cruises, maybe some of you guys like to go uh, to the beach, maybe some of you guys like to go to a mountain in the cabins, or maybe some of you guys like to go on a road trip, or maybe you like to fly out uh, to another country. Well, growing up, I didn't really have a choice in the matter, but we went camping growing up, and every year we would go to Douthat State Park, didn't matter. Every August, we were going to Douthat State Park, and it first began in the tent, and so there we're setting up a tent, and, and there were, my family and I were, were, were vacationing in a tent. Then we graduate to the pop-up camper. And man, I thought we were all that in the bag of chips. I really did. We had a pop-up camper. I had no longer needed to be in a tent. And then we graduated to, to a cabin. And man, I really thought I was the stuff when I had my own room in the cabin. And there were times when we just had the one bedroom, and of course my parents were in there, and I, w- I was stuck in the living room on the couch. Or a cot which was not the most comfortable thing. And um, for my senior week or senior trip, instead of going to the beach, my parents, we rented the cabin and some of my friends, we went and we had an amazing time there. But as I grow up and as I think about my time growing up and vacationing at Douthat State Park, I'm reminded of, of this thing called Big Ben. And Big Ben may not mean anything to you, but it mean, meant a lot to me. Because... On the days that my dad wanted me to go fishing with him, he would take Big Ben and he would put Big Ben in the living room and it was an alarm clock. And this was not a kind of a clock that you could press snooze. This was that old timey clock that had like a, a silver bell on the back and it just, man, it rang so loud, it'd wake up the neighbors. And I remember every morning when he set that alarm clock, I would jolt up out of that bed. And I couldn't go back to sleep till the, till the next night. As we think about this term, be watchful. It's the same idea. It means to to be awoken from your sleep, to be awakened from the sleep. And so here the Bible says that this church is, is being commanded by God, Jesus Christ. He says, be watchful. He says, wake up. So why is he saying wake up? Well, because in verse number three, it says, if you do not wake up, if you do not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now here, directly, this is referring to judgment that Christ was promising this church specifically. But indirectly, I believe it's, in a sense, referring to the second coming of Christ because the second coming of Christ is likened to a thief coming in the night. Now, I hope that you never tried to rob your neighbor. But those who try to steal and become a thief, they're not gonna try to rob somebody at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. in the morning on Saturday when you're eating brunch. They're gonna come, At two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning when you're passed out in your bedroom and you're just dead sleep because they're not expecting you at that time. And so the meaning here is that Jesus is going to judge this church if they do not wake up and get right with him and he's going to come as a thief in the night. It's not calling Jesus a thief here. He's saying he's going to come as a thief. His judgment will come upon that church when it least expects it. I just wonder if Jesus were to write a letter to the church today, I wonder what he would say. I wonder if it would be anything like these seven churches. But here, I want you to know this, that I think the church as a whole is asleep to the things of God. That we need to be awoken back and understand that, that yes, God is loving. Yes, God is is gracious. Yes, God is merciful. But God is a God of justice and will bring justice to this world and His judgment day is coming. And every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to stand before God. All Christians will be at the judgment seat. And every non-Christian will be at their great right throne judgment, the Bible says. And here, do you want revival? Do you want the Spirit of God to awaken you? Well, if you do, then you will not care about your reputation with men as much as you're standing with God. If you want revival, walk in the Spirit of God. If you want revival, wake up or face the judgment of God. But then check out the second phrase here in verse number two. It says, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. So strengthen the things that remain. Here's the focus. Here's the third thought I wrote down that I want to share with you. If you want revival, strengthen your walk with God. If you want revival, strengthen your walk with God. Here the Bible says that that these people, there was a little bit of strength left. There was a little bit left still. And he says, hey, you need to go back and you need to work out those things and and develop strength in that area. Now in Galatians, the Bible talks about in chapter five, how we are to walk in the spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So instead of giving over and sinning, instead of taking that time to sin, partake in the acts of sin, we should be partaking in acts of holiness and strengthening our walk with Christ. Now, several years ago, um, Myself, along with some of the others here, we, we went on a journey across America, and it wasn't an overnight idea on a bicycle. You just don't one day wake up and say, hey, you know, I think I'm just going to ride my bike to California, or I'm going to ride my bike from California back home. No, you just don't think of that. You spend time preparing and having great preparation, and you do that, you prepare mentally, you prepare physically, and in a sense, you prepare spiritually. And so why would you do that? Well, you got to strengthen your legs. You got to get the the miles on underneath your system. You got to also, this might sound weird, you got to strengthen your rear end because that's a long time sitting on a little bicycle seat. That thing's no lazy boy. I'm telling you, it's not. And as you're riding across America, your legs need to be trained, then your cardiovascular system needs to be trained so that you can withstand all of that conditioning. And so you do that over and over again so that you can become stronger And so that you can endure that trip. If 2015 Brian would show up today, 2015 Brian would whip 2021 Brian on a bicycle. Because I'm no longer in that kind of cycling shape. And I'm afraid what happens in Christians is that one time in our lives, we were conditioning our walk with God we were getting up, maybe a little bit earlier, and we were spending time meditating in the Word of God. We were spending time praying. We were, spending, we were exercising these Christian disciplines like what we are doing right now, assembling together and hearing God's Word expound so we can grow deeper in our understanding of God's Word. And we were practicing all of these disciplines, and we could go on for many others, like fasting and all these others. But here, understand this, that I think the church at large today is no longer strengthening their walk with God. In a sense, at one time in our lives, we were stronger spiritually. And now we are weakened. And when we're weakened is when Satan will attack. Understand this. I heard somebody say this the other day that when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, of course he was tempted for all those days, but Satan sometimes makes his strongest attack when we are the weakest. And so there, Jesus is without water and without food for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan's attacking him over and over again when he's at his weakest. And so when we're at our weakest moment, spiritually, is when Satan attacks us greatly. So, do you want to become alive as a Christian? Strengthen your walk with God. But then check it out now. Verse number three, it goes on. And remember, the church is dead when they're more concerned about their reputation with men than their standing with God. And if we want to see a dead church become alive again, then you have to walk in the spirit of God. You have to wake up or face the judgment of God. You have to strengthen your walk with God. But now, now, fourthly, look at, look at verse three, one word, really it's remember. Say that word with me. Remember, say it again, remember. And one more time, please. Remember this first phrase, it says, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Here's the fourth thought. If you want revival, remember the truth of God. If you want revival, remember the truth of God. This term, remember, it means to put it to memory and never forget it. That's all it means. And so here it says, remember what you have heard and what you have received. So the question that I have as I came to this passage is where does Sardis and where does the church of Sardis fit into the book of Acts? Because, I mean, have you ever tried to search it in your search engine or in your Bible app or, or your software system? You're not going to find Sardis anywhere else than this section of Scripture here in Revelation. So where is it? Well, we have to go back to Acts 19. On Paul's missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus, there that city. He's there for three years. And the Bible says in Acts 19 and verse number 10 that all of Asia heard the gospel. So at some point, maybe Paul, maybe one of the other people, they went to this area in Sardis and there they advanced the good news of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And so a church was birthed and here he's saying Jesus is calling this church back to remembering and not forgetting what they've heard beforehand and to adhere to those things. So today we have to remember the truth of God. This, the Bible that we have, this is the greatest truth the world has ever seen. The Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so we would be foolish to close the book and to set it aside and let it sit and collect dust on our bookshelf or coffee table. But here's the thing that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that many churches today, many Christians, have set the book aside because they're no longer strengthening their walk with God, they're no longer concerned about the judgment to come, they're standing in Christ, and they're no longer walking in the Spirit. And so because of those things, they're no longer concerned about what they were once taught from the Word of God. And so I think about so many issues. But if God's Word says it is truth in an area, we have to stand with God no matter what the culture says. And you see, the temptation in the Sardis culture, in the Roman culture, was that, okay, well, there's all these pagan gods, and we're worshiping Caesar as if he is like God incarnate. Maybe maybe it's okay to to just incorporate some of these gods in our worship. Maybe it's okay to develop partnerships and associations with with all these other religious beliefs. Understand this, that the truth is, is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yes, our culture needs the greatest truth in all the world because this truth is the only truth that can save somebody's soul from a devil's hell. Remember. If we we're thinking about sports today and we think about that movie, Remember the Titans. And today, as As great of a movie that was, the overall message in that movie, understand this, that the greater message that we are to remember is the death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he came and he fought the battle of sin so that we could overcome through him 2,000 years ago. So let's remember that truth, but then check it out now. The Bible says, remember what you've heard and received, but then it says, hold fast. So how can a dead church become alive again and experience life? The fifth thought today comes from this part of the verse. If you want revival, obey the word of God. If you want revival, obey the word of God. You know, it's one thing to hoop and holler and shout amen and run the bases in the church house. But it's another thing to live out that passage of scripture. And I'm not against getting passionate, getting excited and raising your hands and and hooping and hollering. I'm for it. Okay, but when when that supersedes our obedience to the word of God, there is a problem. There's a problem when we're preaching in such a way that we're not practicing what we're preaching. And here the Bible says hold fast. That means it's kind of like this. You take a ship would take an anchor and they would lower it down the sea and there it would hold the ship in place. And so the Bible says here that the same thought here that this means to keep, to guard and to obey So we are to remember what we've been taught. So to remember how that the apostles came to Sardis and there they proclaimed the good news of the word of God and Jesus Christ. And then we are to hold fast to that truth and the word of God in obedience. Jesus said it like this, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, if you really love me, church, if you really love me, disciples, if you really love me, followers, you're going to walk in my ways and you're going to live out my commands. And unfortunately... I mean, how many times have we in just the last 10 years heard about big names in Christendom? Big pastor, big name pastors, big name theologians come out and get involved and fall in sin. Today, we need to understand this, that we need to hold to the word of God and obey it. Obey it, obey it, obey it. The greatest testimony... It's not the testimony who shouts the loudest, but it's the testimony who lives the Christian life the greatest. So I don't want to be remembered as a Christian that didn't anchor my walk with Christ in his word and live it out. Then the Bible goes on to say the next word here, repent. Would you say that word with me? Repent. Say it one more time, please. Repent. So, the sixth thought today of seven is, how can a dead church experience life again? Well, if you want revival, repent and confess your sins to God. Repent and confess your sins to God. This word repentance, I I find it interesting, so far in all these churches, this word repentance is mentioned. But in the previous four churches that we studied in chapter two, Jesus had something good. He had a word of praise to say about that church. But it is interesting, this church, there is nothing good said about it. So when you breathe your last breath, or when our church breathes its last breath, do we want to be known as a church that Jesus has nothing good to say about it? I mean, how about that thought? Look at this. It says repent. This word repent it means a reversal of mentality, or in other words, a change of mind. And of course, that change of mind is ultimately, after Jesus comes and transforms you, it's going to lead into a change of direction. And so here we need to understand this: that that I can't forgive your sins; only Jesus can. That we are to confess our sins. Listen, if you really want to experience revival, you're going to come before His presence and say, "God, I'm broken over the sin of my life. I'm sorry. I've sinned. I need Your forgiveness." I think of a, a biblical illustration. I think of King David. Sometimes we think we're just these great sinners, but I trust you, in, in the scriptures, there's always somebody who's sin greater. That is, at least in our concept of sin. And so we see that King David, as spiritual of a man he's, as he was, he committed adultery and then sent that man to the front of the battle to die. So in other words, he committed adultery and murder. And the prophet comes before him And shares with them how he has sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, we see no longer a David who is given over to his sin. We see a broken David, a broken king, who confesses his transgression to God. So we are called to confess our sins. So if there is sin in your life, thought, word, word, or deed. Let's do business with God today. Let's confess it. I mean, I think about Achan. How Achan there in the, in the Old Testament book of Joshua, how he kept back some of those artifacts and some of those things that he was told not to keep. And, and that little sin that he took caused the entire congregation to face the judgment of God. So let's confess. This church was called to repent. So just like they are called to repent, we are called to repent of our sins each and every day. But then as I read verses 4, 5, and 6, I think of a last and seventh and final thought. But Before I say that, let's, let, me, let me reiterate this again. The church that is dead is the church that is more concerned about the reputation with men than their standing with God. Okay? So are you more concerned about what people think about you? Or are you more concerned about when you stand before Almighty God? The last one is from these last few verses. If you want revival live in holiness for God, live in holiness for God. We've kind of alluded to this so far about walking in the spirit, about obeying scripture, but here the Bible says, it says in verse number four, it says, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments." So, so listen, there's always going to be a remnant of God's people that's living for him. In the midst of apostasy, in the midst of people going wayward, there's always going to be a remnant here. And so even though that the vast majority of this church was was not well spoken of, I guess here is kind of a positive aspect of this church. that There are a few people that were not defiling their garments with all the practices of that age. And all this is simply referring to my mind is is how that we, the only way we can have undefiled garments is if Jesus Christ comes and clothes us with his righteousness. As he said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, that Christ who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteous of God in him. And here here we see that when they would be clothed with, with a white garment back in this culture, it was a time of celebration. It was a time of rejoicing. And so here it goes on to say that they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. It also gives a symbol of purity. That the only way my wretched, sinful self can be pure in the eyes of God is through the work of the cross of Christ. Understand me, I'm like Paul. There is no good thing that is in me. Thought, word, or deed. Listen, I am a sinner. And in a sense, we're all the chiefest of sinners because we're all broken and we're guilty in our standing before God. Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, every last one of us. But the good news is that in our sinful state, the perfect God became flesh so that we could be redeemed and ransomed from our sinful debt that we could not pay. And here we see in verse 5, it says, He that overcomes... Remember, this is a word that's used every single time so far in all these churches, and it means victory. And the only way we can experience victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave is through Christ. And so it says, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I'm so thankful today that when I trade this mortal flesh and this, this corrupted body, I will receive a glorified body. I like what one preacher said. He said, when you die, you're either going to receive a glorified or a horrified body. The choice is yours. But then, verse 5, so many people, all the commentators have comments on it. People are kind of debating and divided over what this means. But I think when it says that he will not blot our names out of the book of life, or at least this church specifically, I think we need to understand the culture of the day to get a better highlight of what's going on here in the passage. You see, in the Roman culture, even in the Sardis city, they had a ledger book. And in this ledger book, they would write down everybody's names who was born. So if you, if you were born, if you were alive, they would take your name and they would write your name in this book. And when you would die, they would take your name off that roll, off out of that book. they cross your name out. And so here, I think the point that, that Christ is making here is you have a book that will take your name out when you die. But if you know me, you will never die in Christ. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you believe in me, though you were dead, yet you shall ever live. And then it says here, of course, the Bible speaks about the book of life in so many different places. And in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says that if your name is not found in that book, that is heaven's role, you are not going to heaven. And the Bible even does talk about in one place how those names are recorded in eternity past. I may not understand all those details, but what I do know is this, is that you, gotta make, you better make sure your standing with God is right. Because on the judgment day, when that book is open and your name is not there, if you've never called on the name of Christ, you're not going into those pearly gates of we call heaven. And so the Bible goes on to say here that going back to some of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, that if you're ashamed of him and of his words, then, you, then he will be ashamed of you when you stand before the Father. It says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And it says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The only way we could hear the Spirit of God speak is if God awakens us. So if you want revival, live in holiness. Repent and confess your sins to God. Obey the Word of God. Remember the truth of God. Strengthen your walk with God. Wake up or face the judgment of God and walk in the Spirit of God. 95 A.D. is the approximate date that we believe John received this vision on the island of Patmos. Okay, that's first century. That means that's the first 100 years after Christ was born. In the second century, that is years 100 to 199 A.D. That is the second century. We read about a man named Melito of Sardis. You probably never heard of him. But he was a man who was born in 120 AD and he died approximately around 180 AD. Those are all approximates. We don't know exactly, but it was around that time of when he died. We don't know this to be true, but it is very likely that this church received this word and they did repent and they did get right with God. Because we read about this guy named Melito of Sardis, how he became the bishop of Sardis, and the church just 30, 40, 50 years after this letter, we see that the church was experiencing life again, according to church historians. I think it is interesting to note that Melito was especially skilled in the literature of the Old Testament, and was also one of the most prolific authors of his time. And he is even accredited to being the first person to write a commentary On the book of Revelation. Now I say that to just simply say this. That God's message here. Is a message for us today. How do you want to be remembered? Melito goes down in church history. As an apologist. As an author. And a pastor and bishop of Sardis. And now we talk about him some 2,000 years later. In 2,000 years, if the Lord allows us, mankind, to live that long, how do you want people to think about you when you're gone? Well, I don't want to be known as a dead church or a dead Christian. I want to be known as a Christian who seeks everything in his power to walk in the Spirit of God. I want to be known as a Christian who acknowledges that, hey, I have to wake up every single day and get my face in the Word of God because I know that my standing with Christ is more important than anything else in this life. I want to exercise my walk with Christ because I want to become stronger in my faith. I want to remember and never forget the Word of God. I don't, I, I don't want to be known as the Christian who disobeys Scripture. I want to be known as the one who obeys it, and then I know that sin is going to creep up in my life. thought, word, or deed. And it's my responsibility as a child of God to repent and confess it every day. And then after that, I'm called to live holy or to live like Christ. So how do you want to be remembered? The church is dead when they're more concerned about their reputation with men than their standing with God. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.